this week we're talking about Christian time, Anglican time. And uh, in this short teaching, I want to introduce to you uh, the different rhythms of the Anglican Church, uh, whether they be daily, weekly, or seasonally, really the, 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 the Christian calendar. Uh, in the West, uh, time is treated very differently than it is treated uh, historically by, by the Christian Church. Time is, we've experienced time to be measured, um, chopped up, bought, sold. Uh, time is used to control. Time is used for profit. And what happens is that uh, when, when time is chopped up uh, into uh, something that is bought and sold uh, and used to control um, and used for efficiency, what happens is that time generates power in a, in, a, in a way that is, that is new, that is pretty remarkable and extraordinary, but it also, in so doing, creates uh, stress. Uh, so, so power is generated, stress <laughs> is generated. Um, a sense that we are always behind. Um, uh, in, the, in, in the West, in the modern West, a lot of us have come to relate with time in a way that is totally unique to the history of civilization, which is that time is our enemy. And so time has to be, you have to beat time, you have to race against the clock, you have to race against time, or you have to kill it. It's because it's your enemy. Um, there is a dehumanizing quality. There's a lot of wonderful things that come with the measurement and the use of time. For instance, all of us gathering at the same time here. Technology, uh, including the light bulb, has um, revolutionized and in some ways dehumanized our relationship with each other and our relationship with our days, our weeks, our hours. Um, and so it's turned time into something that has to be, has to be killed or something to be, it's something, something to be raced against um, or conquered. One of the things that the scriptures teach us is that God created time. And he created us too. So there's, there's supposed to be there's always meant to be this deep compatibility between humans and time. Not an enmity between humans and time, but a deep compatibility. And, and actually, time is a gift. It is a gift to be received rather than an enemy to be conquered. Um, uh, Abraham Heschel, in his book, The Sabbath, made a really interesting, um, it, it had a really interesting insight on time, and he basically said that time has an architecture. Time is built like a building is built. Time has an architecture. And that architecture can either be beautiful and, and good for the soul and good for flourishing, or it can be like brutalist architecture, and it can kill the soul in an effort to be efficient. Um, now, historically, uh, what, what, what we see when we look at church history, we see that the church built a temple to God in time rather than in space. This is it direct quote from a fellow priest, Thomas McKenzie, who pastors in Nashville. Uh, the church built a temple to God in time rather than in space. Um, what that means is that, um, uh, is that time has been shaped in such a way that no matter where you're at, whether you're in Kenya or whether you're on the north side of Chicago or whether you're in Fort Lauderdale, Florida or Bolivia or Antarctica, you can enter this building to worship God and to become fully human. 
even as you're carrying out your work. You don't have to be separated from the world, even. You could be, you could be working 15-hour days experiencing profound stress and still know what sacred time is because it is, it is um, the church has built an architecture, um, uh, a, a temple to God in time rather than in space. So the church has measured out the, the hours, the church has measured out the days, the weeks, and the months, and out of all those things, built a temple with beautiful rooms to worship in. So I want to talk just really briefly about some of those rooms and how some of those are ordered. The, uh, it, after Jesus was resurrected, the church began to worship, and the architecture was, was, was in formation. Um, the church created seven hours in the day when people would stop what they were doing, most, most everyone working in agriculture, stop what they were doing, and pray. Um, those seven hours were simplified to four hours, which we still practice. Um, morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and Compline. And, um, and in those four gatherings for prayer, uh, we, like we, tonight, we, we, we hear the word of God, and we respond to it in praise. Um, the psalm is less like a homework assignment and more like a songbook that we, that we just engage in and we sing. Different people keep the hours in different ways. It's not legalistic. It's not meant to be one more thing to keep up with. It is rather an invitation to enter this beautiful building uh, known as, known as uh, the, the Hours. Um, and engage with the Lord and receive, receive the day. It really is how we receive the day as a gift rather than race against the day as an enemy. And I say that having nowhere near arrived, there are many, more, there are many others that are much more faithful in the keeping of the hours than am I. Um, nevertheless, um, it's something that I, that I want to receive and strive toward. Um, so, uh, so the day is shaped um, we also receive the week in, uh, in as much as we um, gather on the Lord's Day. And it really is the receiving of time as um, structured by, uh, by the Lord. We celebrate Christ's death and resurrection every single Sunday. Uh, we are made new. And in some ways, on Sundays, what we see is we see salvation history. We participate directly in a three-dimensional way in salvation history. And so that sense, time has collapsed together. The past, the present, and the future. Um, uh, the, the, the window of temporality is pulled back, and we see what God has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Um, so we receive the week. Uh, and then we receive the seasons. So we receive the day, receive the week, and then we receive the seasons, or we receive the year um, in, in the church calendar. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. This temple, this architecture... Um, uh, is in the shape of a cross. It's, it is centered around Christ's death and resurrection. And um, Robert Webber says this, the heartbeat of time derives from and returns to the death and resurrection of Christ. So it's drawn from the death and resurrection of Christ, and as we engage it, it, re it returns us to the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, so when we live in this cathedral of time, we are shaped by the death and resurrection of Christ. So we're called to the same joy as Christ. We're called to the same faithfulness as Christ. We're called to the same holiness of Christ. We're called to the same sacrifice, and we're called to the same miracles 
we engage all of these things. Obviously not perfectly. Obviously we're all in progress, myself included. Everyone's in progress on these things. None of us um, are the source of these things. We come, in, we come into this cathedral of time to receive these things. And we receive them in, not only in worship, we receive them in our work as well. Um, all of, all of, um, uh, of, of our life it belongs to God. And the, and the cathedral of time, uh, the cathedral of time that the church has built captures all of it. Because it's not, it's not a sacred thing over here, separated from the secular thing over here, it's both. And that's how, for most centuries, the church experienced time was that sacred and secular were not separated. You know, you, were, you, you, were, you would wake up with the sun, you would eat breakfast, do prayers together, um, work in the fields, um, uh, noonday prayer, lunch, nap, the rest of your work, evening prayer, gather with friends before bed, Compline bed. And sacred and secular was one. Um, God, for the church, that is. Um, and... Um, so, so what, what, what happens when we enter time as, um, as the church has conceived it, as God has built it, um, we are made new. And um, uh, we, instead of having time as our enemy that defeats us, that kills us, that takes away our humanity, um, it's actually, time is actually structured in such a way that we are built up as God's sons and daughters, that we flourish, that we thrive. Uh, we're his creatures. He meant, to, he meant for us to thrive. He designed for us to thrive, and so that is um, that is the the, um, the the mere Christian perspective on time. It is a gift to be received rather than an enemy to be defeated. Um, I want to give you a brief what I've what I've got here is um, it is a survey of the seasons of the year with the corresponding colors. So you can just real brief. You can look at it, and then what I did is. Um, I have uh, on on the front side and um, and on the back side a a little bit more of a detailed survey on Holy Week because that's coming up and I just want to give you guys an orientation to Holy Week. Um, this is um, the the color chart uh, was um, put together by my good friend, uh, fellow pastor Blake Johnson, who um, is from Alabama but pastoring in D.C. and um, the detailed description of the Holy Week services um, is from Thomas McKenzie's resource called The Anglican Way, um, which by the, by the end of our time here, I want to make sure you guys at least get a PDF copy, if not a paper copy of that. So um, uh, I'll pass this out. We'll have a few extras in case other people wanted to snag them from you afterwards. So um, the uh, the church calendar begins in Advent, um, which is uh, in, in the Western calendar. That is around the beginning of December, right after Thanksgiving. So um, Advent is where we are looking forward to. We're first of all we're celebrating that a king has come. We are also looking forward to his his second coming, um, and it, this is a penitential season. This is a season of waiting. This is a season of mourning and justice, um, 
And um, it is also a, a season where we, we um, are prepared for the coming of Jesus at his birth. Christmas is 12 days, not one day. Uh, Christmas tide. This Christmas Day, which is a high feast day in the, in the church, Anglican church, Christmas tide is 12 days. And um, so, uh, uh, and this is, this is where we really celebrate the fulfillment of Israel and the world's longing. Epiphany is, uh, begins uh, in January, and it is the manifestation of Christ. This is where Christ's glory is revealed to the world, and the liturgical color is green. Then we enter the season of Lent, which we're in now, and this is a season of, um, where we recognize the temptation of Christ is 40 days. Lent is 40 days, not counting the Sundays. Um, and it's also a, a season of where, um, uh, in, in the language we're using this year, the Lord hollows out what doesn't belong. He calls us to repentance, and he scoops out all those things that we've become attached to or um, that we've worshipped to make more space for his holy presence, to make more space so that he could fill us up with his glory. And we move to, um, to Holy Week in the Great Tertium, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, which I'll go over in a minute. Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection, the color is white. Um, Easter lasts 50 days, and then we move to Pentecost, which is celebrating the, the um, ascending of the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the liturgical color of Pentecost is red, and then um, after Pentecost, we move into ordinary time, celebrating the growth of the church. The um, color is green. Um, so those last two, um, Pentecost and ordinary time, that um, takes up about half the year. So it's a long chunk. Um, that is the half of the year where we, are, we really are celebrating um, the, the church, the people of God. Um, but Advent through Easter is where we're celebrating the life of Christ. So it's the life of the church and the life of Christ. We're obviously walking with Christ the whole time. Um, but there's a sense of this compressed time. We are called to walk with Jesus in a way that is unique and special and seasonal. So we, we come to it again a year after year, each year hopefully going deeper, each year hopefully walking even more profoundly into the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, but if this were a pie and it, were even, it would be kind of evenly divided uh, with um, life, the church over here, Pentecost and ordinary time, everything else, the life of Christ. Does that make sense? So it's a cycle that happens year after year. Um, Palm Sunday is coming up, and uh, this is where um, we, we um, uh, this is the day when Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem while the crowds spread their clothing and palm branches on the road. Um, and we will, uh, what we will do at Emmanuel is we will start inside the building, get our palms, say a prayer, and then head outside, and, um, and we, will, we will process with the palms, and there will be a processing cross. Um, and um, as, as we do calling out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have a song with that, with that, uh, with that phrasing uh, built into it. Um, the, the, the gospel reading is longer, and we actually begin to enter into the passion of Christ as we, as we hear the passion narrative being read aloud in, in dramatic fashion. I think there are four readers on our reader team that are um, helping to... To, to, to read aloud this, this gospel reading. Um, the congregation participates in this drama by shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
And, and what we're doing is we are, we are in some ways taking account of our own sin, taking account of our own complicity um, in, in the death of Christ um, and, wa- and, and seeing Hosanna and, and crucify him juxtaposed together. Um, we then move into Holy Week um, and um, some churches have uh, Eucharistic service every night of Holy Week. Um, we do not. We're, we're not even doing Maundy Thursday at church. I think we'll do a Maundy Thursday service here, but we're kind of building slowly as a church to you know, build out our Holy Week um, traditions. Wednesday, oftentimes, there'll be a, um, a Tenebrae service, and, um, and this, is when, this is when the congregation um, is still walking with Jesus, but the sense of darkness is growing. Some churches choose to acknowledge the betrayal of Judas on Wednesday. Um, and um, so um, the growing darkness is, is pictured as, um, as the candles are, are snuffed out a one bit at a time. Um, Maundy Thursday, uh, this is the, um, the night of the upper room, John 13, when Jesus says, um, you know, love one another as I have loved you. Um, and um, this is a night when uh, we celebrate the beginning of, of, of Holy Communion, um, as well as um, the uh, command to wash one another's feet. And so many churches do a, a foot washing, and it's a really special service. There's, um, there's amazing community that you don't get normally uh, when, when you're washing one another's feet as, as a following liturgically and also in, in an embodied way in the example of Christ. Um, uh, many churches have communion also on Monday Thursday and what happens after communion is that, the, is that the communion table is completely stripped down and in fact it's washed and, and this is all ceremonial this is all picturing um, what, what has happened with Jesus the sacred elements are quickly put away and treated as common uh, as, as, as Mackenzie notes as a way to picture what happened to Christ that night. The, the altar is washed by, um, by two women, and that is um, picturing the, the preparation of Christ's body for, for death. Um, it's a night where, um, where people are called to stay and watch with Jesus, to pray. Some churches have a vigil. They, they will pray all night long. Um, but, but, but actually what happens is that one by one we all end up leaving. Just like all the disciples ended up leaving Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Um, Good Friday is uh, is the, obviously the day when we celebrate that Jesus was crucified. We we recognize and we, we actually enter into his death uh, with him. And um, uh, the reason that we call it good is because it was it, even though it was it was evil and it was. It was, it was the death of God, but it was good for us. And actually, that's why Good Friday is one of the most special services of the entire church year. Because what we are putting on display and entering into is the, is the healing of the cross. It is the profound love of the Father as displayed in the death of his Son. And so our Good Friday service will have actually extended time to, to pray near the cross. And um, there have been... There have actually been remarkable ways that the Lord has moved at Church of the Resurrection, the Good Friday service, reconciliation and pro- profound healing people have received, and um, uh, and um, 
people moving from one place with the Lord to a very different place coming out of that service. Um, this is something that God can always do, but, but the church has, has, seen, uh, ha- has seen the Lord show up in ways that are unique, special, and good for the life of his people. And so um, that's what we call a Good Friday. It's, uh, as Mackenzie says, uh, no matter how we keep it, it is a sad and somber day, but it is a good one. And that's, it's sort of like Lent compressed. Lent is sadness. Lent is a bright sadness. Um, it, is, it is a time where we are mourning. It is a time where we are hoping. Um, Holy Saturday is often a time when churches don't do anything, and uh, we recognize that this is the day when Christ was laid in the tomb. Um, and uh, many churches do, um, many Anglican churches, we will not do it this year, but we will, we hope to, in years coming, is an Easter vigil. And an Easter vigil is where um, we start out with complete darkness, complete blackness. And what happens is there's a pounding on the door, and the Paschal candle is brought in, um, representing the light of Christ. And um, the cantor will sing the light of Christ, and everyone will respond, thanks be to God. The story of salvation will be told in dramatic, dramatic fashion, the, the, the biblical historical story of, of salvation will be told in different readings. And after each reading, and a lot of times that's done with, with drama, it's done with props, it's done with all kinds of artistic expression. Um, depending, you know, it much, it's much more artistic here in Chicago than it was in D.C., at least that I've experienced it. Um, it all depends on the community that you have. So I think when we do our Easter Vigil, it will be quite, quite artistic. Uh, we have an artistic church. So, um, uh, but after each reading, then, there, then there, there's, there's worship. Um, and, um, and eventually what you're moving to is the resurrection of Christ, which is um, it's the high point not only of the, of, the, um, of the service, it's the high point of the year of the whole Christian year. It's the explosion of Christ's resurrection. And we encourage everyone to bring noisemakers. We encourage everyone to bring uh, ways to celebrate. And the celebrant will, will cry out, um, Christ is risen. Uh, the Lord is risen. And everyone responds, he is risen indeed. The Lord is risen indeed. And there's a, um, an explosion of cattywampus noise and celebration and there's worship, and there's uh, <coughs> flowers are brought out, and music is played, and um, and we have the feast of our life. Uh, we have a communion service, and um, you know, a church of the resurrection in Wheaton. Laura and I were blown away to see. All of a sudden, the children got out of the aisles and took one another's hands and started dancing through the aisles. And the reality of Christ's resurrection is everywhere, and it is uh, it's an, it's truly a uh, a holy noise, a holy celebration, a holy explosion uh, of color. Um, the Lenten fast ends, and the Easter celebration begins. And then Easter, Easter Day, and Easter Tide—it's really a season, not just a day—is when is really when we carry that celebration out. It is a season of feasting in the name of Jesus. It is a season where we recognize. The Lord is coming back. We are all going to get resurrected bodies. We are united with Him, and one of the ways that we're united with Him not only in His, we are not only united with Him in His suffering, we are also united with Him in His resurrection. 
and we celebrate that we are reunited with him in resurrection and that we will be in that final act of salvation at the end of time. We will be reunited with him in resurrection and we will feast with him. And Eastertide is, we're, we're feasting, um, looking forward to that day when, when we will feast with him and it will be like, unlike any other feast we've ever tasted here on earth. Um, so that's, that's Holy Week and beyond. So um, I, would lo- I, w- I would love for, for you guys to come worship with us if, if, you, if you have, a, have an opportunity. Um, but uh, do any of you have questions about Anglican time, daily, weekly, seasonally? Yes, Kimberly. Are there any connections with the Jewish feasts? Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, there, so broadly speaking, the church calendar, the, that temple I was talking about, is the foundation of that is the Jewish calendar. Foundation of that is the Jewish calendar. So there's some disagreement as to what corresponds to what. For instance, um, uh, you know, Maundy Thursday and the Passover meal, are they one and the same? Are they not? There's disagreement about that. I have good, you know, there's good reason to believe that it, that it is, that is the celebration of the Passover meal. So, um, yeah, there, there's absolutely some, but not all, correspondence to the Jewish calendar. So, that could be a, a dissertation. Maybe that's your dissertation. Yes, yes, yes. Is there a prayers for a noonday for the daily offices in the Book of Common Prayer? There is yes, and it's shorter. It's it's actually it's it's really wonderful. I was um, uh, uh, I was doing it just this last um, last Tuesday, and was richly blessed. Just you open it up. It's just a few minutes long. If you don't have the Book of Common Prayer, or if you don't have access to the internet, you can easily pull it up on the internet. You could simply pray the Lord's Prayer, or or you could open up the Psalms and pray a Psalm. That counts as noonday prayer. There's no, there's no legalism to it. Um, uh, so, uh, or even a minute of silence before the Lord. Uh, so, but it is in the Book of Common Prayer, and it is, it's, it's a very beautiful service. Yeah. You said there were, there was morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and then you said something else, and I, I can't. Oh yes. Explain. Yes. Fourth. Yes, the fourth, uh, so yeah, morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and then Compline. Mm-hmm. Compline is traditionally prayed right before bedtime. Okay. So right before you go to bed, it's kind of as you're going to bed, mm-hmm. you, are, you are asking the Lord to keep watch <coughs> over you and <coughs> everyone else uh, while you sleep. And, and, and actually, one of the uh, unique things about prayers before bed is that for many people throughout history, when they went to bed, they were entering into real vulnerability. And, um, and so these were not simply prayers prayed for. It was very practical. It was like, I, hey, I, I'm going to be laying down. I'm going to be unconscious. I'm not going to be able to protect myself. Lord, I need you to watch over me. I need you to protect me. Understand from that, like, Compline really is much more sort of um, battle-ready. Uh, than, than we, um, in, in our safe lives, thanks be to God, we have safe lives. Uh, but it's helpful to remember um, 
uh, uh, some this, in many ways, the heart behind Compline. So it is Compline, and that is also in the Book of Common Prayer. Are the offices meant to be done communally or individually? Or? Yeah, good question. Uh, so both, both and. Um, uh, one of the great suggestion that I heard is to find a uh, is to find a way to practice the uh, the 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 hours uh, in a way that you can repeat. It's sustainable and repeatable, so you're not going to get mad at yourself. So in for in some cases, you'll be doing morning prayer on your own, but maybe you'll be on a road trip one time with another buddy, and you'll be like, "Hey, you want to do morning prayer?" I'm a crazy Anglican, um, and so. <laughs> Uh, and so uh, let's do it together. And so there, it's, there's flexibility to do both. I often find that I'm doing it alone and that doing it with other people is a real privilege. Um, so, um, uh, but, but church, I know that many churches try to gather people. Usually the more structure a church has, the more capacity it has to put together. Um, hey, every Tuesday morning we do morning prayer. Every Saturday we do evening prayer. I was talking with a, a fellow clergy uh, person who is serving a church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and he's like, "Hey, you know what? Every once in a while, we do morning prayer up in Kenosha at 3:15 a.m. You should join us sometime." I was like, "Wow, that's so crazy! I just might." Um, so, so it's um, I find that it is a privilege to practice it with other people. That it's richer and deeper, but it's also very important, um, and it can be rich and deep on your own as well. So. Any other questions? Great.